All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome you back to your seats after that break. We're going to dive in now. We're going to pick up back where we left off before the Christmas holidays and um, dive back into Acts chapter 24, just so you know where we're headed and Paul's ongoing saga under the gun there, as it were, persecution, uh, because he's a really devoted Christian doing what God's asked him to do, and the world is uh, not appreciating that, shall we say. So let's dive back in with a word of prayer. Father God, make us all ears, help us to hear, because we need the lesson how to persevere. That's the lesson of Acts 24, how to persevere in a world where we shine light, a world that loves darkness rather than light and doesn't uh, receive you, Lord, and in their hostility toward you, they're hostile also to those who follow you with the same message, God, a message of repentance. So, Father God, encourage us through this example here, many insights for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, yes, indeed, an ongoing saga Paul the Apostle, he is arrested yet again, but now this time he's in uh, Jerusalem. It was no surprise to him or the missionary team returning now from the third and final missionary journey where they were out evangelizing Turkey, which was called Asia Minor, and also modern-day Europe. They were planting churches there, and now they're back. The Holy Spirit through what we call a word of wisdom, gifts of the Holy Spirit he gives to his people, uh, were giving, uh, Christians were giving Paul a heads up that adversity awaited him uh, in the form of being arrested there. But God had a plan. He always does, and it's good. And it turned out exactly as the Holy Spirit was warning, of course. And then uh, he wasn't there uh, for a few days before uh, pandemonium broke out and uh, all, all kinds of things happened, and we're going to get into that again. So uh, here in Acts 24, he's in his beloved homeland now, Jerusalem, kind of headquarters, right? Because Christianity started there uh, some 27 years earlier. That's when Jesus was uh, crucified and raised from the dead. Uh, almost three decades have passed now, and the same hostility that met Jesus, condemned Jesus, and falsely accused Jesus, it's still with the same, the same men, some of the younger ones at the time are still alive, and they're doing the same thing. <laughs> some things don't change. You know, the world uh, is not inclined to receive a message that says, you guys are wrong, you need to turn around and face God and let him rule your lives. And so uh, that's the same message that we preach today uh, that the world does not want to hear. And so actually the reason why Paul was in Jerusalem was to bring a love offering from the churches he planted in Europe. They took a love offering. It took them over a year and a half they collected thousands and thousands of dollars to relieve the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were going through hard times because of a famine, right? And so he brought seven representatives from those churches and they traveled to Jerusalem uh, to give this offering uh, to come and, and relieve them of their financial struggles. 
Well, you know the saying, no good deed goes unpunished, right? So like three days into his time in Jerusalem, uh, one thing led uh, to another, and Paul was spotted by this hot-headed unbeliever who recognized him. He was visiting, a Jewish man, was visiting from Turkey, and knew Paul from Turkey, hated Paul in Turkey, and now he's in Jerusalem and sees Paul, the troublemaker, there in the temple. So he instigated a mob, and they surround him, and they were ready to kill him. And that's where we left off now. And Paul is now in protective custody because the Roman outpost there at Jerusalem, one of the commanders came down and rescued him, really saved his life, and took him into custody. While he's in custody now, the Jewish council who hate Paul, they've hated this message for 30 years, they want to put him away. So they really want to find charges that will stick. They'll get him either killed or incarcerated for a good long time. And so the ironic thing, of course, is he used to be one of them. He was on that council. He was a Pharisee. In fact, he hated Christians more than the sum total of all of them. He led the way in persecuting Christians to their deaths. And yet they don't buy his testimony that he was on his way to kill Christians and God appeared to him in the, form, the Lord Jesus Christ and changed his life. And one of the reasons why we really care about this story isn't just to hear what happened to Paul. It's to get insights because what happens happened to Paul happens to all of us to one extreme or another. And so we're paying attention because uh, we're people who shine the light in a dark place and there's always pushback. And so maybe some of you uh, this morning get are dealing with a little pushback in your families, pushback on the job, pushback from your very liberal professors, uh, all kinds of pushback that we always have to encounter. So this passage is good for us. Let us be as courageous in our faith and trusting in God as Paul the Apostle. So he's in custody there in Jerusalem, but there's a plot. 40 hot-headed Jewish terrorists want to kill him. They swear to God that, uh, and make an oath to God that before they eat or drink anything, they're going to kill him. So that was exposed. So the Roman guard in Jerusalem transferred him under the cover of night 60 miles north to another Roman uh, outpost there because Rome is occupying Israel. They're in charge. Israel's not calling their own shots, right? And so Paul gets transferred up north. He's just arrived. Here's the context. Uh, Governor Felix, he is seven governors, governor of Judea, the one we know, Pontius Pilate. There have been seven now in 27 years. He's number seven, this guy. His name is Felix. He receives him. He settles him in. He says, okay. Get settled. We are going to hear your case when your accusers, the Jewish council, send a delegation up here, then I'll hear your case. Well, speak of the devil, here they come. <laughs> Five days later, the high priest Ananias, Ananias is not any Ananias that has come before, he is number eight in the high priest from Caiaphas. 27 years later, he's the high priest. 
Ananias goes down to Caesarea, goes down from Jerusalem, even though it's north, it's elevation-wise there, uh, with some of the elders from the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish high court, and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor, Felix. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix, and he starts with some flattery. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you. That's a lie. And, uh, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. That's another lie. Uh, everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We, we, <laughs> we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Uh, but in order and, and a, re, a request for a hearing, and we're going to be so short uh, because we know your time is valuable. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. All right, let's park there. We're going to walk through the chapter. It's a story. It's a narrative. We've got to get the whole thing right. And let's see what God has to us has for us. He always speaks to our hearts, really keeping in the back of your mind. I must persevere. I must not water down the truth that's getting me clobbered. I must persevere. That's the message of Acts 24. So, yes, uh, we, we get here now the religious folks, unbelievable, these are religious folks who want Paul killed. Why? They are tired of hearing that their religious good deeds amount to nothing, that you, you can't be religious enough, that religious people are sinners too who need to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ because we all have sin and you can't do religious deeds to get rid of them. They have to be paid for. And so uh, even their own prophet, Isaiah, said our uh, religious deeds, our good deeds are but filthy rags compared to God's holiness and righteousness and so they're tired of hearing that and so that's what what what's going on here and uh so it, it's not really paul they hate uh it's somebody else and jesus made that clear didn't he let's read it from john 15 thank you amen <laughs> did you enjoy the grand canyon i don't know i'm just asking <laughs> if you were there or not <laughs> If the world hates you, would you please keep in mind that it's not you they have a problem with, it's me. Did you make this stuff up? No. Oh, sorry. If you belong to the world, it would love you. You would say the things they want to hear. They would just be in love with you. But as it is, guess what? You don't belong to the world because I took you out of the world. You don't fit anymore. Now, they're all going one way. You're going the other way, and you're rubbing them the wrong way. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant isn't greater than his master. You're my servant. I'm the master. If they persecuted the master, how much more persecuting those who say the same things, who live the same way, who stand for the same values. So what happened to Jesus? He said, it's going to happen to us. All kinds of varieties of levels of that kind of persecution depending where you were born and what country you live in and so yeah 
this is lived out, Jesus said they're going to treat you the same way. Now, look at this. It's lived out perfectly. These are the same guys who are now treating Paul the same way. They arrested Jesus. Now they're arresting Paul, the same guys, right? And the same men that handed uh, him over uh, to the Roman uh, governor, uh, Pilate, are now handing his follower over to the Roman governor, Felix. You see, and the same mob, the same kind of mob mentality, the same kind of false charges, exactly the same charges. You see, so Jesus said, listen, the way I was received in the world, um, heads up. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed, right? So he says, I need you to expect this so that when it comes, you're not blown out of the water. You don't think something strange is happening to you, but it's a normative part of being called out of this world and put on a different path a path that runs counter to this world. He said, narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few, comparatively speaking, find that way. It's narrow. But he said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many take that path. And so when we get uh, pushback, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. They treated the prophets the same way. The heroes of the Bible... They took it on the chin too, just like you. So you're in good company, me, the prophets, the apostle Paul, and you. That's okay. It's a good group to belong to. And he said, when you get to heaven, wait till you see what's waiting for you. For every insult, for every anguish, for every relationship, for every betrayal, for every slanderous word against you, it accrues a reward. That's what he said. He said, even a cup of cold water in my name down to the, the smallest little thing God is keeping track because he wants to wow us on that day. And wow us, he will for sure. Uh, so they go down to Caesarea, right? And the verb there is to descend. And it kind of has the meaning of like vultures descending on their prey. And uh, they've prepared with some highfalutin lawyer, Tertullus. Uh, he's from the law firm of Abrams, Goldman, and Rabinowitz. <laughs> you liked it better than first. Uh, and you can be sure that he charged a pretty red shekel for his services because they're saying, we need you. We got nothing on him. He didn't really do anything. We just hate him. So we want you to make up a bunch of lies. And it's got to be compelling and it's got to stick. And he's going, no, that's going to cost you a little bit, right? And so, yeah, that's what's going on here. He begins with flattery. So no takers on the flattery. All right. Uh, it, Flattery, of course, is defined this way, excessive and insincere praise given especially to further one's own interest. And I love how wise King Solomon describes it. He says, uh, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. In other words, by my flattering you and stroking your ego, I'm entrapping you. I'm trapping you into giving me what I want, right? And what they want is a conviction, Right? And so they lay it on thick through Tortellus. Tortellus. Oh my goodness. The entire, and Josephus and all the historians let you know the truth that it's a, he was known for his uh, self serving, self indulgent attitude. He was unproductive. Uh, the Jews hated him as they did all their Roman 
occupiers, the Gentile occupiers, you, you see. And so all of this is just uh, nonsense. And everyone in the court is kind of rolling their eyes, kind of gagging a little bit, because none of it is true. And even Felix knows it. Uh, one writer, James Boyce, love him. If you ever see his name, buy it. It's good. He said, I suppose that even Felix was shrewd enough to have listened with tongue-in-cheek. What is it that these Jewish leaders are after that they should come all the way from Caesarea and flatter me in this fashion? They must have wondered. Well, here it is, verse 5. Here's what they want. (laughs) We have found this man to be a troublemaker. That just kills me every time I read it. Paul the Apostle the most wonderful, humble man filled with goodness. He's other-centered. He teaches people everywhere to submit to authority. A troublemaker. Rabble-rouser. Stirring up riots. He's insurrectionist among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Nazarene, where Jesus was from, is an insult. So they make sure they keep bringing up the the city that has a bad and ugly reputation. He's the ringleader of a cult, always. A heretic, the idea there in that word sect is it's a heretical offshoot. It's a cult. And even, he even tried to desecrate the temple. I'll explain what that means. So we seized him, another lie. You tried to kill him. This is what you tried to do. And wanted to judge him according to our law. Of course you did. You were ripping him from limb to limb, remember? But the commander, Lysias, and I love this, this is a dig. He's telling the Roman governor, but your guy came and with much force snatched him out of our hands and ordered his accusers to come before you. So this is all on you that you have to do this. But, and here's the fatal mistake. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about this rabble-rouser and about all these charges we're bringing against him. And the Jews joined from the peanut gallery. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Judge, may I speak too? Huh? You know, all of their stories affirming that all of these things were true. So we move from flattery to fabricated charges. Uh, the word here, troublemaker, can mean pest or plague. He's contagious. The message that he gives to people, it's spreading like this terrible disease of Christianity is dangerous. It needs to stop. And I just started thinking about a pest. We are. We are. From their point of view, we're pests, right? They've got the world worked out. We, we, we know how we want to think about all these subjects, right? And you guys are the only ones who say, excuse me, no, 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 sorry. You guys are the troublemakers, The world is all in agreement. My religion is kindness. Accept everybody. Love is love. This is the way we smooth everything out. And you guys keep standing up and going, excuse me, God said, all paths lead to God. Just do your own thing. Diversity. Coexist, man. Well, sorry, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. 
troublemaker. And that's why they called us the way, by the way. Because Jesus was saying he was the way, the truth and the life. And Christians were always talking about the way. And so like a mosquito buzzing around, that's what they say. He's just this pest, you know, and he's pesky. You know, yes, okay, if, we're, if we are pests for the Lord, we are the most beneficial pests to ever plague this planet. Amen? Because if we get to you, or better, the Lord get through you, get to you through us, then instead of perishing, you'll have everlasting life in a place that Jesus called paradise. Yeah. So, yes, you should be glad for the pestering. Amen? Yeah, we, we don't pat people on the back on their way to destruction. No. So we get in their space and we try to help them in love, in sensitivity, being diplomatic, not rude and obnoxious or holier than thou, right? So Tertullus isn't silly enough to stop there. He's going to say they're tr- he's a troublemaker in that he's stirring up riots, which Rome hated. And, and the, the idea there is sedition, so anarchy, a coup d'etat, he's going to, they want, they talk about this King Jesus and they're going to overthrow the government, which is so, it was a common charge against Christians because we were preaching about this other king and this other kingdom. In fact, Pilate was told, um, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar because anyone who declares himself a king is defying Caesar. So he went to Jesus and said, so tell me, are you a king? And Jesus said, nah, not that kind of king. I'm like king of the universe. I'm king of the whole world. I'm not like this little king here, like King Herod. No, I'm not that kind of king. And uh, in fact, the irony, of course, is that Paul preached this, Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever wants to rebel against the authorities actually rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So no, and Felix, by the way, and we're going to hear this in the text, is well acquainted with the gospel. He knows what Christians stand for. He knows how we behave. So he knows it's nonsense. We don't, we're not the ones in the streets turning cars over, throwing bricks through windows, lighting buildings on fire. That's not us. Our Lord loves his enemies, lays down his life for those who hate him, prays for his murderers while they're killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. So that's who we are. We can go back uh, to the text here. And so, yeah. We obey, we come under. But if the authorities want us to sin against our conscience or against the Lord and tell us silly things like, no gathering in your Jesus' name. No, no, no. Sit home and watch TV. Well, sorry, that's not in the Bible and we're not going to be able to comply with that. No singing. No praising your Lord. Uh, Sorry again. Yes, we know Romans 13, but you can't tell us to do something God has told us not to do or vice versa. 
there, right? That's just the way it is. Peter said this. Peter and John replied when they told them, stop meeting in Jesus' name. They said, well, you know, Romans 13, we got that, but which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to God? You be the judges. So we'll listen to God, and God will take care of us. Amen? <laughs> so in a nutshell, I like this, that they're kind of, he's kind of blaming them, uh, the Romans, for snatching him away. And, um, and then he says, in verse 6, you're not going to believe this, Felix, but he even, he's such an unconscionable, unredeemable monster that he would even go into the temple and profane it. It would be like, let me give you the feeling of what he's saying, which happens to us all the time in reverse. Uh, San Diego, Evangelical Christian Church, this January, this month, they went into their New Year's service to find that their church had been vandalized. Spray painted 666 over the platform, Hail Satan, and deface the cross and all of that. So that's what it means to profane the sanctuary, and that's what they're accusing Paul of. So that Felix might think, what a, who would do that? Honestly, who would go into a house of worship that represents God and light and truth and goodness and love and go in and, and in the vilest and most vulgar language on their walls, right? So, but of course, Felix uh, knows better. He knows better. Then they say, listen, listen to him. You'll find out what a reprobate he really is. That was a big mistake, because I don't think Tertullus had ever heard Paul speak, because Paul speaks in really um, classical Greek. He has the Holy Spirit. He's anointed. He, he's gentle. He is the fruit of the Spirit. So he speaks with love and compassion. And um, boy, so as soon as he opens his mouth, uh, they've lost the case completely. <laughs> Verse 10. When the governor motioned for Paul to speak, Paul replied this way, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. See, positive, but not confident. Pleasant, but not flattery. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem, guess what, to cause a riot? To, to preach the gospel in everybody's faces? No to worship. I went to church to worship and with my hands lifted and my mouth filled with praise. That's what I was doing. My accusers didn't find me arguing with anybody, debating anybody in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else for that matter. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. That's a great point. Where are they? Where are the initial accusers? that pointed to him and said, that's the guy. Where are they? When the eyewitnesses of the um, indictment don't even bother to show up, this is not good, you know? So, and so he says, and they, can't, and they cannot prove to, to you the charges that they're now making against me. However, <laughs> I admit that I'm a Christian, guilty as charged. I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way which they call a cult. I believe, by the way, judge, 
I believe only everything that agrees with their Bible, the law, and what's written in the prophets, the Old Testament. And I have the same hope in God as these men profess, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So (laughs) knowing that we're all going to stand before God, that guides how I behave. I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God, spiritually speaking, and the world, one-on-one. So here's the defense. There's two paragraphs. This is the first one. He splits it in half. First, he addresses the charges, and then he's going to say, here's what really happened. So let's uh, see what he's addressing here. Uh, Paul's cool as a cucumber. You know, He knows Jesus made a big promise to us when we get in the hot seat. And here it is, Matthew chapter 10. On my account, Jesus speaking to his disciples, you're going to be brought to governors. Whoa, there he is. And kings. That's next chapter. King Agrippa comes by. Governors and kings right there, fulfilled. As witnesses to them, as witnesses, not to condemn them, not to hate them, not to judge them, not to criticize them. To witness to them, to help them. And to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. But when they, uh, well, but when they hand you over, do not, don't worry about what you're going to say, how to respond. In that hour, you'll be given what to say. For it will be not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. One of my favorite verses, I myself find myself in the hot seat from time to time. And I'm like, and then boom. The Holy Spirit just gives you the words to say. You open your mouth and God fills it. That's how it is. And I know that I see that you're nodding your heads. Yes, or you're falling asleep. (laughs) I prefer to see it in the positive. (laughs) So he starts out, I'm happy to be here because I know that you are well familiar with Judaism, with the gospel, with how Israel works. So I'm happy. He's happy. He's got a word from God that he's going to Rome so he doesn't have to worry. Uh, he, his conscience is clear. So he's just going to speak the truth in love. So he says to answer their charges, A, I was not stirring up trouble. I was just worshiping and there's no proof to the contrary. Where are these eyewitnesses? You know. And then he says, as for being a Christian, yeah, guilty as charged. They call us a cult. But And I love this. He says... Everything I preach is in their Bible. Of course, I come at at it through the lens of faith in Christ, the Messiah who's already come, but even the Messiah is fulfilled 300 of the the prophecies in their own book. So we have the same God, the same Bible, the same truth. So I'm not a heretic. I'm, I'm saying what they're saying, and the bottom line of, look at what he says, the bottom line of the Jewish faith is what the bottom line of the Christian faith is. There's going to be a resurrection. There's a heaven and a hell. And you either go to one place or the other. That's the bottom line of the entire Bible. So he says, they believe that, and I believe that, and because I believe that, that's what governs the way I speak to people, the way I live, the way I conduct my affairs in this life. So, wow, that, that's a lot already. This is who I am and what I believe. Now, here are the facts of what happened on that fateful day. That brings me to you. Verse 17, after an absence of sev- several years, I was about my father's business, <laughs> 
planting churches in Europe for several years. I came back to Jerusalem, and here's where everybody just died in the courtroom. To bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I'll talk about this. I was kosher. I wasn't violating any Jewish customs when they found me in the temple courts doing this, bringing money. (laughs) There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who started this whole mess who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me, which they don't. Or these who are standing here, they're not even, these who are standing here are not even the ones who, who are involved in the initial accusation. But since they're standing here pressing charges, maybe it would be nice to hear what I did when I was with them. The only thing that I did, the only crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted, and it's the same thing, it's the gospel, as I stood in their presence. It's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Here's what he's saying. It's because I believe everybody in this courtroom is going to stand before God. And, and, and I'm, I'm just preaching, but Daniel, their prophets, their prophet said in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, there will be a day when everybody in the grave, everybody, everybody asleep, the bodies will be joined to the spirits that have departed and they will all stand before God, some raised to everlasting life and some raised to everlasting contempt. That's Old Testament. That's the gospel of the Old Testament and the New. That Jesus came to lay down his life, to bleed and die in our place so that we can just trust in him and not perish but have everlasting life. This is the message. And so, yeah, uh, this is what's going on here. So he wants to know, where, where are they? Where are my accusers? Uh, all I did was yell out, uh, and I find myself here, because that's what happened. He yelled out, oh, it's about heaven and hell of sorts, and then he finds himself uh, there. Verse 22. Then Felix, the governor, who was well acquainted with the gospel, that means he knows Christians, that's a, he gets the gospel. He knows. So sad. Adjourned the procedure, proceedings when Lysias, the commander, the Roman commander who saved Paul's life, when he gets here, I'll decide your case. That's a lie. He lets him uh, stay. He doesn't. He's just that way. Verse 23, he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Why did he do that? A, he's a Roman citizen, and he's not uh, convicted of a crime. So by law, he needs to treat him well. Number two, he knows he's not guilty because he's well acquainted with the gospel, with churches. He knows, he gets it. He knows how Christians behave. And he hears Paul, and he knows how unscrupulous that those Jewish leaders could be. And so he gives him a lot of freedom. The saddest comment of all for me, almost in the Bible, is you're looking at it, is that he's well acquainted with the gospel and nevertheless lost. 
how awful to find out, you know, that you were, yeah, how awful at the judgment seat of God there, the great white throne, when you're sentenced apart from Christ, and that's called perishing, that in life you were well acquainted with the gospel, but strangers with the Savior. That's not good, and that's really sad. And, and, and sadly, it's going to be the case for multitudes of people. They've heard, like Felix, and, they, and here's what he does. He adjourns the meeting for two years, for two years, and he leaves them in there because he's caught up between a rock and a hard place. He knows he's innocent, but he doesn't want to side with the gospel people and stir up the it's all political expediency as it was with Pontius Pilate. The same thing. I don't want the people mad at me reporting to Caesar, sending hateful emails to the emperor. That's not going to work. And that was funnier than you gave me credit for. <laughs> I, just, I was just pointing that out. Yeah, so that's what it's all about. And, and, and here's, here's this thing, and maybe you might have a problem with this or you know somebody that does. They know it's the truth, but they're not ready to embrace it. They're looking for a loophole. So here's what, instead of saying no, they say, uh, let's defer this along. To decide, not to decide, is to decide. Right, And so Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. You're part of the problem. There's no like, I get it, but you know, I'm, yeah, none of, none of that works. And it won't work on Judgment Day uh, for sure. We finish up. We made it to the end. Chapter, tw- uh, chapter 24, verse 24. Several days later, Felix came. This is such an awesome paragraph. I've got some things you have never seen. (laughs) Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish person. She's, She's a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him. Apparently, Drusilla wants to hear this famous guy. So, okay, I'll call him in. And he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul discoursed, now from time to time they met, right? As Paul discoursed, it's conversational, on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix said he was afraid. He said, that's enough for now. (laughs) You may leave when I find it convenient. Oh, my goodness. Famous last words, and they still may be ringing in his head today. In torment. I will send for you. At the time, at the same time, he was hoping, he had mixed motives, uh, that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Mixed motives for being in church and drawing near. It happens all the time. I was thinking when I read this of a young man named Jack who fell in love with a girl from our fellowship who was a Christian. So he started coming to church because he loved the girl. They ended up getting married, and he ended up becoming a Christian and uh, a committed Christian, a real Christian. So he says, so God, he has mixed motives. Why? He heard about the offering, thousands of dollars. It, it was part of the record, right? 
So he wants his cut. So the more I hang out with Paul, the more maybe I'll drop a couple hints, you know. Uh, and, and the more he knows that his friends want an early release, you know, you know, just a little bribe. So that's what's going on there. Let me tell you about why Paul is talking about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Why those topics? Well, let me introduce you to Drusilla. Drusilla is 20 years old and not, not dead gorgeous, according to all the historians. She's ambitious, and she's from an ar- ar- aristocratic family. She is... King Agrippa I's daughter. Acts chapter 12, when King Agrippa comes out and everybody is gathered around and says, you are a god. And he goes, yes, indeed. And God strikes him dead. That's her dad. All right. So now she's grown up with a sister named Bernice and a brother who will be King Agrippa II, who you're going to meet next chapter. They're siblings. King Agrippa married his sister Bernice, and they are brother and sister to Drusilla, who was seduced away from her husband by Governor Felix. Now you know why Paul has the topics of righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. So Paul is not a weak Christian, he knows he has to tell them the truth in love. So he talks about righteousness, uh, like that adultery is wrong. He's sensitive. He speaks in love. He's compassionate. He doesn't have a condescending tone. But he sees two souls in harm's way. They call and they want to talk. So what's he going to talk with? You start with the bad news. You're in trouble. You guys are in trouble. Now, he could have called and gone online today to find a pastor who would come in and tell them, oh, man, I got some good news. God loves you guys the way you are. You weren't happy. You found each other. You fell in love. And you, you found yourselves, you know. You're speaking your truth. And, you know, all that matters is kindness and goodness. And uh, your religion is kindness and equity and social justice and and they would have applauded Felix wouldn't have stood up in alarm the word is alarmed he was alarmed why because Paul did his job he didn't back down and tell him what what would get him some accolades back or to smooth things over and he might have walked away thinking oh man maybe I went too far because he's alarmed now now the Holy Spirit got through to the man the way you and I are supposed to help people. There's a train coming, and half of the Christian church is saying, oh, it's not a train. You're fine. You can live however you want. God just loves you. Just be a nice person. That wasn't that bad. (laughs) It was scary thinking about doing that. Here comes the train. And Christians are applauding instead of saying, get out of the way. Get out of the way. So Paul had the courage to keep the gospel the gospel that starts with some bad news. So he says, 
Here's what can make you right with God. Here's what God's righteousness looks like. Self-control. You got to surround that. If you don't have self-control, you're like an unwalled city, the Bible says. Vulnerable. Open to be destroyed. You'd know defenses. If you can't say no to your own passions, Drusilla, look what happened. Greed, corruption, the lust for power and influence and pleasure. And then he says, these deeds will culminate with the judgment of God. So we went from righteousness, self-control to the coming judgment. And it worked. And he just told them what Isaiah says there. I think I have that. Romans 14. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God so that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Christian or no? The Christian gives an account and you either are rewarded or loss of reward. And the unbeliever gives an account which determines the level of punishment. So this is what he cries out in the courtroom. I'm on trial because I'm trying to warn people and tell people that there's a day of judgment coming. And oh, for the courage to be able not to back down. Listen, closing words. Are you going to sell out? Are you going to come into the room and tell them everything they want to hear to protect your own self? A day is coming when I could be arrested for saying the things I'm saying today. It's not very far away. It's very possible that you will lose your livelihood. A sign here, you must believe this, and you can't talk about that, and you can't stand for this, or you'll lose your job. Are you ready to take a stand for God if it costs you your livelihood or some relationships in your family or your inheritance or your position? Let's pray that we stand firm and persevere. That's what the Lord wants of us. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, (laughs) make us ready. Make us able. We see it coming and things are getting tighter and hotter and harder. We pray for your blessing, God, to be found faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.